The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Good morning, OPCC. Um, for those of you that don't know, I am Shay Haddock, associate pastor here on staff. I am sparing Brother Jimmy for the week just to let him <clears throat> catch his breath a little bit, man. Jimmy's been bringing the word, uh, and gosh, man, I have learned a ton uh, lately, and, and uh, so thank you, bro, for bringing the heat, man. Uh, the Lord is, has uh, stirred my spirit in a good way. And uh, I did want to clarify, um, the baptism is not next week. It is the week after next. It's the 28th, okay? 28th. So um, you got a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah, you got a little time. So, man, it's going to be busy up there in the tank, man. I'm, I'm excited. May just be wearing waders all Sunday, man. That'd be awesome. So, uh, anyway, uh, welcome to those online. Welcome if you're here on campus. Uh, grateful to see you all. And uh, man, so I, I, we're, I think we're titling this little single uh, sermon here, Mind Warp. Now, I originally had, had thought that I was going to be bringing the word on uh, kind of the warfare uh, on our, in our mind and, and how we struggle uh, with our thoughts, et cetera. And uh, we certainly will <clears throat> get, in that, get into that and we'll cover some of that. Um, but really it is, uh, it's more of a, I felt like the Lord wanted me to back up a little bit and help us understand like the source of um, the source of the war in our mind. Like, where is it coming from? And we talk about, um, you know, when, when we when we feel confused, overwhelmed, anxious, off center, uh, we're struggling uh, to get footing in our lives. And I don't know if you, I don't know. If, I'm sure you guys. I, I know you guys are <clears throat> a lot like I am. And that, man, every day I have. Thoughts come into my head, and I'm like, why? Jeez, man, like, why is my thinking, like, so challenging? Like, I, you know, it's whatever. It may, it's like I'm either feeling, I'm like, oh, I'm tired, or, man, I'm late. Oh, man, I'm always late. Golly, man, what a, what a guy, man, always late, always in a hurry, you know? And you're like, oh, shoot, man, I, you know, got to do this. I got to do that. And you're always busy, and you're always in a hurry. And your mind, and you're like, oh, man, I need to work out, man. Golly, I'm out of shape, man. I need to work out, you know? And it's like, wow, I need to do this, do that. And you're always this anxious, this uh, constant stirring and striving, and it's just this battle in our mind, a fight for positive thoughts, right, uh, all the time. And, 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 and we'll land this thing with really kind of, I'll give you guys a little illustration that I've been walking through myself uh, over and over to kind of help us um, reshape and reform the way that we think about our lives um, and, and, and how God sees us, how he wants us to see ourselves and the power that we have over the enemy. But I feel like the, before we do that, uh, we, we kind of need to understand like, um, you know, why do we struggle so much mentally? Like mental health in today's world is a huge problem. I struggle with it. Uh, I, I'd be open, honest, and vulnerable and just say, dude, like, I, sometimes I feel like a crazy person. You know, I'm like, we, people say, I'm losing my mind, you know? And it's like, no, you're not losing your mind. You're just, your mind is at war. And you're not, you know, in, in that present moment, you're not winning. Uh, you're getting your butt kicked. Uh, and you need to, uh, I'm learning how to be a better warrior for the Lord, but it starts in the mind, okay? And so um, I, I, in, in a lot of what uh, our, our mind is designed to do is, is, is to think in one of two ways, right? We either think carnally, like with things of the world and the things in front of us, the things that we can see, or we think eternally, with things above, heavenly things. We either have a mind like Satan or we have a mind like God. This is one or the other. I mean, it's, it's, we, we are, the way that we think is either how Satan thinks or wants us to think or how God thinks and how he wants us to think. And so uh, scripture teaches us that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, certainly a heavenly battle. Uh, and, and I do believe that it starts in our mind and in our thoughts each and every day. So join with me here in Ephesians chapter six. And we're, we're just to warn you, man, we're gonna be bouncing around here um, in, in scripture today. And, uh, some of which I'll have you follow along in and some of which, uh, you'll just, uh, you'll just have to listen to me. Okay. And, um, so Ephesians six, a very familiar passage for all, most of us, if not all of us, but, um, let's see. 
Okay, Ephesians 6, verse 10, right? Finally, Paul says to the Ephesian church, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. We've all heard the full armor of God uh, sermon, right? We've all, we all understand that we are to put on the armor of God, but I wanted us to put this in a little bit of context as to why. Not only what is the armor, but why do we even need the armor? What's the purpose of it? Verse 11, put on the full armor of God, here's the reason, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So the devil is scheming against us. He's scheming against us all the time. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Man, that's, that's intense. That was intense. You're like, wait, what? We, we, we battle against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms? That sounds pretty like Star Trek. It really does, right? If you actually stop to think about it, it's like, what do you mean, man? Like, do I need a lightsaber, you know? And, and no, no, no. But I want to, uh, I want you to be thinking of this, like the war that we are fighting is against an enemy that we cannot see. Like we are confined in the flesh and uh, we cannot see the things that go on and are entertained in the heavenly realms, but we are engaged in it. It almost seems unfair. You're like, wait, dude, wait a minute. Dude, I was, I was put in a, you know, I'm fighting a battle that I cannot see. I'm fighting an enemy that I, I don't know necessarily where he is. Yes, absolutely. Now, it's important to know this, that if you are a follower of Christ, the enemy is not in you. He cannot possess you. That is impossible. Only the Spirit of God indwells you and is actually, you possess, you are the temple of the living God, okay? So that's important to know that. You, a person who is in Christ, baptized in the Lord Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God and walking in, in right relationship with God cannot be indwelt with Satan himself. But he can be all around you and he can influence you however he sees fit, okay? We're gonna get into some of this. Now, the, now as we, as we um, I'll go ahead and read the rest of Ephesians 6, and then we will come back to this later. Uh, but it says in verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you are able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. We'll come back to the flaming arrows of the evil one and what those look like. So log that in your short-term memory. We'll come back to that. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, okay? And this helmet of salvation, remember, Paul's talking to the Ephesian church. He's not talking to the unbelieving world. So we don't take up the helmet of salvation for the saving of our souls. That's already been done. We're already saved. We take up the helmet of salvation to save our minds from improper thinking and corruption that leads to damage in our lives rather than fruit for the kingdom, so keep that in mind. The helmet of salvation is a weapon for warfare, okay? And um, so, <clears throat> well, what's the, so some of the background, though, and the explanation, like, um, wh wh why is this war so inevitable, and how did we get in this position, right? Um, I think it's important uh, to, to backtrack, and, I, and maybe this might be new uh, information to some of you is some of this uh, was a repeat for me and some of this was brand new. So I found it fascinating uh, to study this. I do want you to turn with me to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. And bear with me, man. We're, we're going to, we're, we're, we're cooking something up here. So just stay with me. We're building a case here. Now, Ezekiel 28, 
8. This is a prophecy against the king of Tyre at the time, okay? And Tyre was a commercial metropolis, man. Like it, this, the, 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 the cities of Tyre and Sidon were very commercially successful. They were a primary port city in um, the Mediterranean. And, and these people were very, very fixated upon uh, building wealth for themselves and establishing healthy economies and building businesses and, and running things uh, in that kind of way. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes your God, you run into some issues. And so there's a prophecy here that is fascinating. And the first half of the prophecy is actually against the literal king of Tyre, the physical person, the king of Tyre himself. And the second part of the prophecy is actually insight into Satan himself, who was the real king of Tyre. He was actually the spirit at work behind him, okay? And just know in the world, there's always a spirit behind everything that happens. It is either the spirit of the Antichrist, right? The spirit of Satan himself, or it is the spirit of God. Those are the two things at work in the world, and that's exactly what's happening here, so bear with me. Ezekiel 28, follow along. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel said, son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is, a, this is, a, this is some wisdom. God is, is speaking a prophecy of danger to the ruler of Tyre. In the pride of your heart, pride of your heart, that's the root of, of sin, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas, but you are a mere mortal and not a God. Though you think you are as wise as a God, are you wiser than Daniel? Is no secret hidden from you? By your wisdom and understanding, you have gained wealth for yourself and amassed gold and silver in your treasuries. Listen to this. By your great skill in trading, okay, and this is the, the, the when you eat that word, this is, he had a highly competitive spirit, always wanting to gain an edge over his peers, okay? That's what he means by he had great skill in trading. You have increased your wealth, and because of your wealth, your heart has grown proud, Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you think you're wise, as a wise as God, I'm going to bring foreigners against you, the most ruthless of nations. They will draw their swords against your beauty and wisdom and pierce your shining splendor. They will bring you down to the pit and you will die a violent death in the heart of the seas. Will you then say, I am a God in the presence of those who kill you? Will you be but a mortal and not a God? In the hands of those who slay you, you will die the death of the uncircumcised at the hands of the foreigners. Okay, so there's a prophecy directly to the person, the king of Tyre. Now listen to this. I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. Verse 11, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, Take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now, this is some, some prophetic language about, we get, this is the most brilliant depiction of where Satan came from and where he is to go. And, and, and listen to this. This is the Lord speaking about the spirit behind the king of Tyre and who was at work in him. Speaking of Satan himself, he says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl, your settings and mountains, mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all of your ways from the day you were created. Man, so Satan here is described as the most beautiful angel that God had created. He's literally, God says, I ordained you 
as a guardian cherub. You guys are familiar with the mercy seat, right? In the, in the tabernacle is an example of what the throne in heaven looks like. And it was where God resided in the tabernacle in the wilderness, as Moses had instructed, right? And you have the, you have the, the, the Ark of the Covenant with the, with the thick gold mercy seat. And you have the cherubs and their wings, and they literally protected and guarded the presence of God sitting there in the Holy of Holies. And in the throne, it, it's, it's a representation of what it's like in heaven. There are, there are cherubim and there are seraphim, right? The seraphim are the fiery ones as displayed here. And they dance and sing and hover around the throne of God. And then you have the guardian cherubs in the, on the throne of God. And they are literally the created, they're direct creations of God, angels of God made to be holy, to worship him, guard him, love him and protect him. And Satan was indeed a, a divine angel, a divine created, specific creation from God, beautiful in every possible way. It says he was adorned with the most beautiful rubies and stones that God had ever created. But wickedness was found in you. And that's really important. Wickedness was found in Satan, not created in Satan. That's really important. God found wickedness in him. Listen to this, Ezekiel 28, verse 16. Through your widespread trade, or what he would say is through your competitive spirit, because you wanted to exalt yourself above your associates, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Those are the, those are the seraphim. He was cast out from the, from the throne of God. His, his heavenly uh, responsibility, his, his gifting, his ordainment as a protected, beautiful guardian cherub of God was cast out, right? He says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And listen to this, you corrupted your wisdom. Satan's mind got jacked up. His thinking started turning upside down because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries so I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. That certainly is a depiction of Revelation 20 when Satan is indeed thrown into the lake of fire or the lake of burning sulfur as described in my text Man, that's fascinating, right? Satan was God's most beautiful angel. He was glorious in every possible way, but yet sin was found in him. And a lot of people struggle with this idea that why do we wrestle with Satan? Why is he attacking my thoughts? Why, why, like, why did I get subjected to this? It, it wasn't that God didn't create sin in Satan. It was just found in him through pride. It's really, really important. Um, a lot of people want to, to quote unquote, blame God for creating Satan. Well, he did create Satan, but he made him beautiful in every way. And it was Satan's fault that he um, had, had such a competitive spirit. He wanted to be exalted. He wanted to be like God. And therefore, he convinced a third of the angels we read in Revelation to fall from heaven with him. Now, get this. Um, Satan rejected God's plan to create an order of beings made in God's image. That's really at the root of why God, or I'm sorry, why Satan was so upset. Not only did he want to, want to be like God, but what really ticked him off is when God made man in his own image. That's where Satan started getting real tripped up, right? What's interesting is that he knew that mankind would be created beneath the angels in dignity, right? We all right now, in terms of heavenly dignity or concerned, are underneath the angels, right? I mean, we are not in angelic form, we are in human form, right? Broken, sinful natured, born of the dust, right? That is what we are right now. Yet, we'll, we are served by angels in this present time. Angels serve us, isn't that amazing? It's fascinating to me. Man, God says we'll entertain angels and don't even know it. 
We, I believe we're assigned guardian angels, so to speak, where God sends his divine to protect us, guard us, nudge us, move us at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But there are indeed direct creations of God, angels, that are working about and are mixed, and they influence us. It's a fascinating thing. And then yet for those who are saved, Satan knew that for those who are saved, we will be lifted in honor and status above the angels. 1 Corinthians 6, 3 says that the angels look into us in the things of God that are happening and what God's doing on the planet. And for those saints who are raised up in Christ and we are seated in heavenly places, we actually will judge the angels and the work that they had done to according to what the Lord had asked them to do. Isn't that amazing? We'll be judging angels. Satan knew this. He wasn't happy about that. He's like, no, 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 no. I, I, want, I don't want anything about Shay or Jimmy or Peter or, or Abe. I don't want these guys judging me. I want them worshiping me. That's his problem, right? And so I, I was fascinated to study that when God sent Satan from his heavenly as the guardian cherub, right? In Ezekiel 28, God sent Satan down to the earth. There was, there's actually four falls of Satan, man. This is fascinating. The first one was his fall from a glorified guardian cherub to being profane, right? God declared him non-sacred. He was now secular, no longer holy in any way, right? This is the first and only fall of Satan, to happen to this point, okay? This is exactly what Jesus described in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, when he says, I saw Satan falling from heaven like a bolt of lightning. Satan literally fell from heaven like a bolt of lightning. There are three other times, which we, uh, we'll get into more in depth here in just a minute, but Satan apparently, now listen to this, the second, the second fall, is from having access to heaven to being restricted on the earth. What's crazy is we're kind of right in the middle of that right now. Satan still has access to heaven. Even though he was thrown out, he still has access to heavenly places. He still has access to the Lord and God the Father, right? We know this in Job chapter one. Turn with me there. Job chapter one, man, it's fascinating. He also, there's also an example in uh, Zechariah chapter three, but we won't get into that. Jimmy's led us through that already, where um, Satan and, and the Lord are actually having a conversation. But it says here, start Job chapter one, verse six. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, which they do on a regular basis. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And he says, Satan answered the Lord, I'm roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright and a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan said, so he's having this dialogue, right? He's in the presence of God, accusing Job for being holy and righteous in the sight of God, and he's He's basically telling God, you haven't really tested him enough. His life has been easy. His walk has been cake, man. I, I'm going to accuse this man. And while, he's almost like a pit bull saying, man, just unleash me, man. Let me go wreak havoc on this guy's life. And he will definitely not praise you, right? And so verse 10, Satan says, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are, are spread out throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Man, he's accusing, right? The Lord said, very well, then everything that he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Man, fascinating. Right now, excuse me, Satan has access to the throne. He has access to heaven, and he is, he is in constant communication with the Lord. And he's accusing you and I. 
He's constantly up there like, look, bro, you see what Shade did? Look at him, dude. Look at him, dude. That lady cut him off. He cussed her out. Look at that right there. See that? No joke. Yesterday, I will confess, and I'm still not sure if I was in the wrong or not, but I was at Shields. It was packed yesterday. Outrageous. They ought to have a count limit on the number of people they let in that place. I was over there. I was with my boys shopping for some fishing poles. It's almost crappie season. Super excited. My boys are getting older, getting ready to sling a couple of big, you know, little bigger poles instead of the little kitty, you know, uh, Paw Patrol poles. So, man, I, I, was, I was over there buying them, uh, uh, some new poles. And no kidding, man, we're walking around and we're shopping and it's a little tight, you know, you're like, oh, excuse me, excuse me, you know, I'm just trying to get to the tackle box. Yeah, okay, cool. You know, it's like, where are the crappie jigs? Oh, oh, no, the crappie jigs aren't by the tackle boxes. They're over here. You know, it's like, okay, look over here. Dude, and this lady, she, she's like, comes barreling in. She's with her husband and she's walking super fast. And I'm like, whoa, excuse me. Yep, no problem. You know, and she goes, and she goes, you could hear like, I, like me and my kids were in her way, you know? And I was like, oh man, at least, you know, anyway, picking out my stuff. And so we're looking for the crappie jigs. Got my tackle box. We picked a little kitty pole out for Zeke and we're coming around the corner and here comes the lady, man. She's coming through hot and heavy, man. And she, and she literally, we bumped into her again, and my kids, they were, you know, they kind of ran out in front of me. They weren't paying uh, that much attention. They're excited, man. They're in the fishing section, you know? And this lady, this lady goes, Jesus Christ. And I was like, I was like, ma'am, is there a problem? I'm like, I am, I'm just, it's Saturday. I've got my kids here, here, eight and six. We're picking out fishing poles and crappie jigs, and you're basically using the, name, the Lord's name in vain, I'm looking for, for hooks. And dude, it blew her mind. I mean, she could not believe I said that. And I'm still, I'm like, Lord, forgive me if that was wrong. But I was just like, what is going on, man? And I just totally felt like that was the enemy. Like he was, I could literally feel like Satan was just trying to, trying to jab at me. But nonetheless, man, um, uh, Satan is always accusing, right? So he's like, he's up there going, oh, see that? See that? Shay right there? Yep. He, he basically, in a Christian way, cussed that lady out. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah, he, he basically, you know. And so and that's just how, and, and Jesus is up there and he's like, dude, okay, maybe he, there was a better way to handle that. But look, man, like my grace is sufficient to cover that sin. Okay, anyway, that's just, there's always this um, battle going on, not just in our own mind, but man, literally Jesus has a full-time job, so to speak. He's constantly, Satan's accusing, and Jesus is like, no, Father, we got this. this is, these are all lies. Lies, right here. Lies, right? And he's always doing that, and there's always this uh, idea. And so when we're, when we're hearing the lies, when we're, because when, when, I'm hearing lies all the time, and I'll get to an example here in just a second. I'll be vulnerable with you guys about the lies that I hear, and I'd be curious to know if they're similar to the lies that you hear. I bet they are. Um, but uh, anyway, and so um, he, he, he does his Satan's second fall as depicted in scripture. Um, so we know that he has access. We see it in Job. We see it in Zechariah. He has access and he's always accusing us, right? And he says, where have you been? Well, I've been roaming about the earth. That's where I've been. And that's what he does now. See, the Bible says he roams around like a roaring lion, seek to kill and destroy. That's what he does, right? And so, um, but his restriction on, uh, to earth is prophesied in Revelation 12, 9. And I won't have you turn there. You can mark that in your Bible or whatever. But it states in Revelation 12, 9, uh, in the prophecy that he will be hurled to the earth and the angels with him. Uh, and he will, he will be bound there. He will no longer have access to heaven. Okay, so there will be a time where, so not only has God stripped him of his, of his cherub-like uh, glory, but he also will no longer have access to heaven. And the third fall is from his place on earth. Okay. So he's roaming about the earth, doing what he does, lying, cheating, and stealing. And, uh, and then he will, he will go be bound into the pit of the abyss for a thousand years. We read that in Revelation 20 verses one through three. Now this has not happened yet, obviously, but it will happen during the kingdom period when Jesus is literally reigning and ruling on, on the earth. And that's how I interpret scripture. And I do see it that way. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, set foots on the Mount of Olives, like Jimmy uh, walked us through the last few weeks. And that he literally will set up a real kingdom on planet earth. And 
During that period of time, will be a thousand years, Satan is cast into the pit and he is bound for a thousand years. That's what's described in Revelation. Now, he is released for a season of time from the pit of the Abuso and is released to tempt those in the kingdom age who are not the saints. And I won't get into all that, but know that his fourth fall is ultimately he is cast into the lake of fire right before the great white throne judgment where every man, woman, and child who is not of the Lord will be judged uh, in accordance to what God has asked of them and who Jesus is or isn't to them. Now, praise God. In Revelation 20, verse 10, it says that he will be cast into the pit of fire. I'm sorry, into the lake of fire, or the lake of boiling sulfur forever and ever. Praise God. So man, like the end of the book clearly states this guy doesn't win, okay? He just, he doesn't win. But he does wreak an awful lot of havoc between now and then. Now, so there's four falls of Satan. We're basically after the first one and kind of halfway between the second one. Three and four have not happened yet. Those will happen in the future. So knowing his destiny and unable to reverse the course of history, we can't do anything about what Satan has done or the environment that we've now um, been subject to. You know, uh, we just have to realize that he, Satan indeed is insane and applies demonic efforts of rebelling against God. He takes it out on us and he uses our sin nature to keep us from worshiping the Lord. That's his tactic. His goal to get us to sin is quite simply just to revert our mind and our thinking off of the Lord and his kingdom and onto Satan and his kingdom, things of the earth. This is his kingdom. We've got to be reminded of that. Satan rules the earth. He roams about it all the time, everywhere. That's why we struggle, okay? You've got to know that. And his tactics are always lies. Lies, lies, lies. Number one, number two, number three, four, five, six, seven, ten, and out to a thousand, tactic is to lie. And when he lies, it's, it's in our mind. We have an option to either receive it Jimmy actually talked about uh, uh, Pastor Tony Evans down in Texas. He, he gives a, a little talk about, uh, and I listened to that, by the way. It was pretty good. He talks about uh, the devil is like, you know, he, uh, he, he influences our thoughts almost like an air traffic controller. Like our job is to, to be an air traffic controller, right? And you got planes of thoughts floating around in our mind. And we are to, to, to be like an air traffic controller, testing every thought, seeing if it is from God. And if it is, we can let that plane land. If it's not, it just stays up in the air until it runs out of gas and crashes, right? And so it's kind of interesting, but he's always, man, the lies are always swirling in our head. And I'll give you some examples of what lies go on in my head here in just a minute. But, um, you know, it, Satan, he told us, so I, I'm, what I'm, what the, what everything I just described to you about where he came from, who he is, uh, his history and his background, it's important to know that in Genesis chapter three, right out of the gate, man, third chapter in the scriptures, in the word of God, we see Satan lying. He, in, in, in Genesis chapter three, join with me there. He's a liar from the beginning, man. Genesis chapter three, he starts lying. Genesis chapter three, verse, we'll start in verse two. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. That is truth. That's what God said. But listen to what, listen, here, here's old Satan, man. Here he comes. You will not certainly die. He's lying. <laughs> that is a lie. He just told a lie right out of the gate. He tells another one. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil, that's a lie. You won't be like God. So he tells two lies right out of the gate, and that's his modem. That's his, that is his operational status. He's always lying to us. Now, what's interesting is the same path that's, that got Satan to fall, we kind of mimic that as well. And I actually found this interesting. When Satan fell, he lost his identity as a guardian, cherub, holy one of God, right? He lost his identity. And in that, he lost power and authority. His heart was hardened. Pride and rebellion set in. Access to heaven will be cut off 
um, but he still has limited access to some degree. He is bound to the earth and broken, and then he is sent to eternal fire by self-will. For the believer that is not in Christ, for the person, the human being, that does not receive Christ as Savior, it is the exact same fall. You have a loss of identity. You are not a child of God. You are a son of Adam, and therefore sinful, broken in every way, right? You have no power and authority. That's why when we give our lives to Jesus and he fills us with the Spirit, that power and authority is restored as our identity is restored. We restore our identity as a child of God because of who we are, because of what God's done for us, and then we surrender. It's the identity triangle, right? Then we surrender in obedience and walk out the call of God in our life and bear fruit. But when our identity's jacked up, we have no power and authority. Our hearts then become hard. Pride and rebellion takes place. We act like spiritual teenagers, right? We rebel against the things of God. We don't walk in obedience. We don't surrender our access to heaven becomes cut off. It's, it's, it's a struggle. Like we, there's no relationship with God. It's just, it's either religion or we don't know him at all and we're lost, right? And, the, and we're bound, we are bound to the earth and broken. But see, what's interesting is, man, I, like I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in the presence of my spirit. I'm not bound to this earth. And I am broken temporarily, but not in the eyes of God. I am holy. I'm a part of the priesthood, right? And so, um, and then and th for those that by choice are sent to eternal fire. So anyway, I found, this, I found this, uh, this amazing parallel between the fall of Satan and the fall of man uh, is, is really very similar. But here's where Jesus comes in. Not only does he come in to save us uh, and pay our debts and fill us with power uh, and authority, but the Lord gives us so much truth in his word to, to allow us to fight this battle that Paul describes in Ephesians 6, and that's the battle that we fight every day that starts in our mind. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, please. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Now keep in mind, man, this is actually a fascinating passage of scripture and I won't, I won't break it down for all of you guys. Uh, you know, for, I won't go into extreme detail um, exegeting this entire passage, but it is important to know, dude, Paul's fired up right here. And what he, the reason he's fired up is he's being attacked. This, the Corinthian church, there, there was a select few people within the body that were actually saying that Paul was like double-minded, they were saying that he was, he was powerful and strong and could preach the word when he was with them, but that he was meek and mild, you know, I'm sorry, it was the opposite. He would write letters that were bold and courageous and, and strong, and, and he would tell them to be mighty. And then when he was there in person, he was meek and mild. And they were like, they were, they were saying he was double-minded. And he was basically st starting to tell them, no, 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 that's, that's not the case. But here's, here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 10, start in verse Let's start in verse one. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, well, let's first start by saying humility and gentleness of Christ. That should always be the position of our heart. If it's anything but that, we should go back to step one. But I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when uh, went toward you when I am away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. <laughs> He's starting to get after him. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. See, these people were wanting him to think secularly minded. They were actually stirring him up and wanting to engage in an argument with him. And he's saying, man, in the humility and gentleness of Christ, I, I pray that I don't have to be as bold as I would expect I might need to be for some of you. He's saying, man, I'm, I'm praying that you, you, would, you would take on the same mindset. But he says, we don't live in the world. We don't wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
Christ, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Boy, that's strong, man. Paul is saying, man, dude, the weapons that, he's like, you guys are attacking me, but I can tell you right now, the the war that I'm fighting is not with you guys. It is with the spirit behind you. It's like the king of Tyre, right? He was not the problem. It was Satan behind him. Now, he was, he was the problem, but ultimately, we, we always need to see there's a spiritual force behind everything that's happening in our lives. And so, um, you know, like if you have a struggle with your boss uh, at work, your boss is not the issue, man. It's Satan working behind the scenes through them to try to get you tripped up and jack up your thinking to where you're thinking carnally and not heavenly. That's what Paul's saying. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take that thought captive. I'm going to, I'm going to make it obedient to Christ. And I'm going to make sure that I'm not thinking carnally minded. And I'm going to put my eyes towards the one true um, God. And so The war happens in our mind, um, and the truth of God's word is, is, is our defense, okay? And so uh, we called this topic, or this, this sermon, Mind Warp, and uh, I, I felt like, you know, just put here, we got to warp our minds from carnal thinking to heavenly thinking. And I was sitting there like this week as I was preparing and going a number of different ways as I normally do, and I was like, you know, it's... The anxieties that I feel in my life, the worries and the struggles that I endure in life are 100% because the enemy is accusing me, he's telling me lies, and I'll start to believe some of them, and then I start to think carnally minded about how to fix them, and that's where I start to get my legs tangled up. It's, it, it's only when I start sharpening my mind and I take that thought captive and I surrender it, make it obedient to Christ. So I, what I'll do is I'll take a lie and I'll compare it to the word. Like if I can't find it in the word, it's out. It's a plane in Tony's example, does not get to land in my life. It's just not true. And so taking up the full armor of God every single day means that you take an inventory of the lies in your head that you're being told and you build your life on the foundation of the truth, right? Jesus said, um, the fool builds his house on the sand, right? And when the wind and waves come, the house is knocked down and it is no more, right? Um, but, the, but the wise man built his house upon the rock. And so uh, I, I have an example. I want Ashley to, to put it up on the screen. Um, and, and really, this won't take me too long. Um, and, and I'll actually, Sean, you're, you, you guys are welcome to come up really any time. Um, there's no rush, but c- come on up at your, at your leisure. I, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of an example of a tool. Now, forgive me, the, my whiteboard here is not very big. It's kind of not a very manly whiteboard. Uh, this is an old one. By the way, I did just buy a really nice one for my office. I'm pretty pumped about it, but I still, uh, like in typical fashion, I bought that thing three weeks ago and it's still not hung up. But anyway, this, uh, this is, uh, can everybody see this okay at least? Do you see the arrows coming down from the top? Do you see my little house on the hill there? And, and uh, you can see, uh, and let me, let me explain. So from the bottom to the top, okay, we've got down here, I put Jesus He is the chief cornerstone, right? He is the foundation of our lives for believers, okay? He is the chief cornerstone, and that's where we build our lives on him. There's a song that's really, I absolutely love, um, and uh, I don't even know the name of it, but one 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 of the verses in the chorus says, his words are stronger than the curse. His words are stronger than the curse, and that's exactly it, man. The curse of sin is on our life. As long as we're in the body, it's, we, we wrestle with it. And, and, and the curse is why we struggle with our thought process. That's why we struggle with, with the lies, right? But his words are stronger than the curse. And so Jesus is our chief cornerstone down here. And I'm sharing this with you in hopes that you might, your, 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 your mind and your heart might be stirred as you go about this week and you think about, Man, what, what, okay, Shay, you said a lot, man. You, 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 you preached in the, you know, Ezekiel. He told us about the history of Satan and, and where, you know, where he's come from and where he's going and how he impacts us and all that. But man, how, what do I do with that? Draw this out on a piece of paper or on your own whiteboard, hopefully bigger than this one, and um, just work yourself through what, what, are, what, what are the lies that the enemy is telling you, okay? And so up here, these are the fiery arrows, 
These are the fiery arrows that the enemy is throwing at us every day. And I want to read you guys. This is vulnerable. Uh, and I want to just share with you some of them. You know, a lie that I hear every day is, man, I'm not good enough. I'm always falling short, man. Just not good enough. And I sit there and wonder, and I'm like, well, but what to what standard? Like, you know, like, well, what do you mean I'm not good enough? Like, to who? Like, my wife loves me. I think Pastor Jimmy loves me, you know? I know my friends, I think they like me, you know, but it's, it's, but what am I not good enough against? It's because Satan wants me to measure myself up against other people, right? That's where social media can be so dangerous. You start scrolling and looking at other people's lives and start going, oh, well, they have this and, and they have that and I don't have this and I don't have that. And Satan's just like, ha, ha, ha. Like he has just got you, man. He is jacking up your thinking, right? So not good enough. Uh, one of the, another arrow that I get every day is, man, I don't have enough time to get everything done. I don't have enough time, man. I just do not have enough time to get everything done. And uh, well, let me first go back and say, there's a stone here. These are the stones that we build our life on. So Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And then these stones are truths that we built our life on. This house is my life. And the sturdiness of it depends on how solid these stones are that I put under it. The foundation that I've built, right? And so when the lie comes in, I'm not good enough. I read Psalm 139 right? I praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's that simple, man. That's the truth. That's what God's word says, right? His words are stronger than the curse. The curse tells me I'm not good enough, but his word tells me that I am. And so I don't have enough time to get everything done. That's a lie that I feel every day. And I feel this pressure, man, calendar pressure. You might feel like that. Dude, well, Good for you that haven't raised your hand. I, you, talk to me after service. I really would like to know uh, what your secret is. But what I'm growing in is 2 Peter 3.8, right? With the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Revelation 22, I am the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. God is outside of time. Time is not a problem for God. Therefore, it is not a problem for me, Okay. I, I, I put here, I, you know, I always wake up feeling like, man, there's always a financial shortage. There's always debt to be paid. There's always money to be saved. There's always trips I want to go on. There's, there's car payments. There's, there's work bills. There's, uh, you know, mortgages. There's food. There's always a shortage, right? And that's a total lie. Psalm 147, he determines the number of stars in the sky and knows them all by name. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to bless you abundantly, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but provide for you more than you could ever need or desire. Those are the truths. So the lie that I have a shortage is just that. It's a lie, right? Another one, you're always letting someone down. Man, I always feel like this. I always feel like I'm letting somebody down, man. And it says here, Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, then I am chosen in him, and I, I am holy and without blame. Like God, he, he looks into my life, he says, Shay, you're not letting me down, dude. If you love me, you keep my commandments, you're not letting me down, bro, I love you. And it's like, you know, I gotta build on that, man. It says, you know, uh, let's see, here's a, here's a, I got a bunch of them on here. Um, man, this is a good one. As a pastor, I struggle with this. A lie that I hear all the time is, dude, your kids are going to get burnt out on church, man. You're at church all the time, dude. Your kids are going to get burnt out. And the Lord says, no, nah, bro, that's not the case. Proverbs 22, man, you just train up a child in the ways of the Lord, and when they grow old, they won't depart from it. That's a promise, man. It's like, your kids aren't going to get tired of church, man. And if they do, man, they might go out and screw up a little bit, and that's all right. Man, they won't depart from it, dude. You train them up. They know the Lord, man. My kids love Jesus. Those that are of age of accountability, they're not going to depart from it. The Lord says, man, I got you. You know, they're going to be disappointed in you, my mind tells me, every day. Man, the client, I'm going to go see this client. I didn't prepare enough. They're going to be disappointed in you. This sermon, oh, Shay, you're not prepared enough, man. You worked too hard this week. You work too hard, man. You shouldn't have gone to the farm and dumped corn for the turkeys, dude. You should have been studying, man. You shouldn't have gone to bed at 10 o'clock, dude. You should have stayed up till midnight, man. You're not going to be prepared. They're going to think you're unprepared. You're going to look at a lot of blank stares in the audience, right? Romans 8, for if God is for you, who can be against you? Like, that's the truth, man. And so I don't know if this helps or not. 
I credit my wife for this little example. She's more artistic than I am. But she shared this with me one night when I was struggling. And I was just confessing my sin to her and my anxieties. And she said, I don't know. I was playing around with this little tool. And maybe it'll help. She's like, build your life on the rock, man. And, and when the lies start to come in and rain down and try to knock the house down, there, there's, a, there's an argument against every single one of them. And this is exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. You just take every thought captive. This lie comes in, hit it with a scripture, and pff, arrow's gone. The shield of faith, man, that's the armor of God, right? It's just use the truth of God's word to fight the lies. If you're anything like me, man, the only reason I don't find complete and utter joy in the Lord and that my spirit is unbridled in my praise and worship and honor to God the Father is insecurities and anxieties that I've let creep into my heart from lies that the enemy has told me. We just got to cast those out, man. Life is awesome when it's lived in the Lord, man. When the Spirit of God has filled my soul and I know that I am walking in relationship with him, I've abided in him, he shows me fruit in my life, God puts people in my life, getting saved, baptisms, discipleship, community, fellowship. Dude, when it's happening, man, it is awesome. And it's not awesome, man, when I'm thinking about the world, I'm worried about my finances, I'm worried about my job, I'm worried about my gut, I'm worried about whatever. That is just all intended to steal, kill, and destroy. John 8 says Satan is the father of lies, and he's been telling them from the beginning. Be aware of them this week, and build your own little molly chart, and figure out what your stones are, and how you're going to deflect those arrows. The enemy cannot steal your salvation, but he can steal your freedom. Don't let him do that. Pray with me. Father, Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the abundant truths that you've taught us in the word. Thank you for, for giving us hope to cling to. Thank you for being our chief cornerstone, Jesus. Like when the wind and the waves and the fiery arrows of the enemy come in my life, I don't have to worry. I literally have the word of God, the spoken word, that which brought everything into existence at my disposal, on my phone, iPad, Apple Watch, Bible, my wife, my kids, my family, friends, they all can remind me of the truth of God and the enemy has no victory in my life. Lord, help me and help my peers, Lord, my friends and my spiritual family here, Lord. Help them be encouraged this week to know that you are with us. You love us and you care for us. And when, we, when those thoughts that come in to our mind that intend for evil, Lord, may we, may we warp our minds into thinking about you and your kingdom and how you see us and your goodness. But Lord, it's a, it's a discipline that we need to practice and we need your help. We confess our absolute utter need for you, Jesus, in every way. We need you in every moment of every day and every decision. You are worthy of that attention, Lord. We love you, Jesus. And it's in the precious name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.